You're listening to media from University Lutheran Church and Student Center. We are a multi-generational, Jesus-centered community of Scripture, faith, and grace located in Tallahassee, Florida, on the campus of Florida State University. To learn more and to get connected to other resources, please visit universitylutheranchurch.org. We hope that the next few moments are a time when God speaks into your life by the power of His Holy Spirit about His Son, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who sends us a warning so that we might run to the open arms of Christ. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, happy Daylight Savings Day. Today you lost yet another hour to this ridiculous thing that we do in our country where we say that uh, we we just sort of make up what time is and and, uh, twice a year we decide that we're going to kind of mess with it. And it has a a certain history. Uh, The the history even, it goes back, uh, some people say to Benjamin Franklin himself. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, it seems in jest, uh, when he was writing from France, uh, was talking about how there there was a shortage of of candles. There was a shortage of beeswax for candles. And uh, Benjamin Franklin, sort of yeah, joking about the shortage, said, "Well, what we should do is that we should uh, instead we we should move the hours of the workday to be a little bit later, so that there's a little bit more sunlight, so that we don't have to use as many candles." And, uh, and certain people point to him as being sort of the architect and the inventor of uh, this, this thing that we now today know as daylight savings time. Uh, there, there were other early examples of this. Uh, in, in New Zealand, there was a gentleman who was an entomologist who wanted to work more with bugs and wanted to have more daylight hours at the end of the day in order to do his work with, with bugs. And so he actually petitioned the, the New Zealand government to uh, shift the workday not one hour but two hours but that actually didn't end up having any sort of effect on us. And where this actually came from was finally where this practice was being, uh, being practiced by farmers already kind of throughout the Midwest uh, as they were getting up uh, at different times depending on when the sun was coming up. And so uh, as a part of that, they said, okay, well, we're going to do this daylight savings thing. And so daylight saving became uh, this, this thing that we do. And uh, there for a long while, daylight saving was kind of a fun time in some way because it was this time where we got to warn one another, hey, do you remember that, that it's daylight savings? And we got to say, oh, I had forgotten. Thank you for letting me know. Or, you know, we, we sort of, we, we went to things on, uh, to, we went to church on Sunday morning and we kind of waited, depending on if it was the fall or the spring, we waited on the people that would accidentally show up early. And they'd show up early and they'd be here for Bible class when they're never normally here for Bible class. And we'd all have a good laugh and say, hey, welcome to Bible class. 
Or it, it would be the, the one that comes in the fall and somebody would show up uh, super late and uh, they'd be here right at the end of service and we'd go, you didn't listen to the warnings. And now we have cell phones. We have these things that automatically update the time. Uh, my cell phone is even connected to my watch, and so my, I can't even get away with my watch. There's only a few clocks left in my life that I actually have to physically change. And so this warning of daylight savings time, uh, saving time, well, it doesn't mean as much anymore. Uh, we, we don't really need these warnings as, as much as what we did sometime. But that doesn't change the fact that there are some things that we need to be warned about. There are some things in our life that uh, require us to be aware, things that require us to go, okay, well, it's good for me to know that this is coming up. It's good for me to know that there's something here. And in a lot of ways, you can look at all of these readings that we have for today is is in some way being something of a warning. There's something here that that kind of shows us, okay, well, what God is doing in all of these readings is he's giving a warning to humanity. He's giving a warning to the people that are gathered together. And so uh, what we're doing this Lent is, uh, and this is your warning of how these sermons are going to go. Uh, I gave you this warning last Sunday. I'm going to give it to you again, is we're walking through this ancient prayer form called the collect form. So that's spelled C-O-L-L-E-C-T. I know it's, it looks like you would say collect, but it's collect. It's the emphasis on the wrong syllable. And so what you, you have to do, what we're doing here is we're, we're going through this very simple prayer form. And the way that this prayer form goes is that it starts off with an address. So who is God? Who am I addressing? And then it goes into this thing that we call the rationale. So uh, how do I know that God is that thing? And after the rationale, then we get into the petition. We actually ask God for something. And after we ask God for something, we get into this other thing called the aspiration. And the aspiration is the thing that says that why we think that God should answer our prayers. And after we say the aspiration, then we all wrap it up together with asking God to do that for the sake of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this sermon and in every sermon in Lent. And I'm hoping that by the time that we get to Easter, you'll celebrate a lot heartier because you'll say, oh, we don't have to do collect sermons anymore. This is your suffering. But for real, I I think it it actually does some good things for us. So what we're talking about today is we are addressing our God. We are addressing our God in worship, and we're addressing him, and we're saying, Oh, warning God, which is kind of a weird thing to call God, to say, Oh, God, it's so good that you are a warning God. But in a lot of ways, that's actually a very good thing. The warnings that we have in our lives are are meant to be there in order to keep us alive. The warnings that we have in our lives are are things that are there in order to help us to live better lives. Uh, The warnings that we have in our lives are meant to keep us from doing dumb things, which is exactly what is going on with this guy named Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah is warning the people of Jerusalem that they're doing some kind of dumb stuff. And so it gets into the, the sort of sense of, well, who is this warning God? How do we know that God is a warning God? And uh, Jeremiah is the first place that we see that. Uh, God sends Jeremiah to the people of Jerusalem to say, hey, stop what you're doing. Otherwise, your city is going to be turned to dust. And what do the people do? Well, the people say, we don't like this guy. How dare you say that our city is going to be turned to dust? And Jeremiah responds back to them, and he says, Do whatever you want to me, but keep the warning. Because you can do whatever you want to me, but know that I was sent to you by God in order to warn you of these things that are coming. And that is a place that so often we end up being ourselves. That is a place that we end up being when uh, our sins are addressed. That so often we get angry at the messenger. We get angry at the person who points out our sins. We get angry at the book that points out our sins. We get angry at the fact that we flipped open to the wrong page of the Bible and that page in the Bible said something that we don't like. Because it's warning us about something that we do, and we kind of like doing it. And we want to throw the book across the room, just like those people in Jerusalem. Because we need a God who sends us warnings, but oftentimes we're, we're not people that want to heed the warnings. We need to hear warning after warning after warning, which is what has happened finally by the time Jesus ends up outside of Jerusalem. Jesus ends up outside of Jerusalem, and interestingly enough, the Pharisees, the Pharisees of, of all people, the sort of, you know, the, the uh, sort of dastardly, sinister, evil bad guys of the New Testament, you know, the, the guys who, who probably have like curly Q mustaches, and laugh in a very evil, evil way. Those guys, they come to Jesus and they go, hey, you need to get out of here. Herod is coming after you. Now, the reason that they're doing that is that uh, sort of this sense of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And they really don't like Herod. And so they're kind of like, well, Herod's after you and we don't like Herod. So Jesus, well, you better get going because we don't like you necessarily, but we like Herod even less. And Jesus responds back to them. Jesus basically says to them, hey, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But then in that moment, he sort of stops and it's almost as if he's, he's reminded of Jerusalem because he knows that he's going to end up in Jerusalem. And he's reminded of that city, that city that stones the prophets, that kills the people that bring warnings. And he gets so sad. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you. 
like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you wouldn't have it. Jesus points out there how sad it is when we don't heed God's warnings. Which brings us finally then to the the petition. The thing that we're asking God for in, in this sort of prayer format. So he's a God of warning. We see that he's a God of warning in Jeremiah and in the gospel. And then we need to ask him for something. And what do we need to ask God for? Well, we need to ask God that we would have hearts that are open to heed the warning. Hearts like the people that Paul is writing to in Philippians, hearts uh, of people that understand that there is evil out there in the world and that we are constantly going to need to be warned against that. It's what we're asking God for is this uh, ability to hear his warning and to know that the things that he warns us against are actually bad. That he's not just being coy about things. He's not just saying, well, I'm, I'm a big heavenly killjoy. I, I'm not telling you that I don't want you to sin because I, I want to take away your enjoyment. No, I'm telling you that I don't want you to sin because sins are bad for you. That sins take away your life. That sins make you less at the end of the day. And so we constantly need to turn back to God and ask him for those hearts, those hearts that are open to hearing his warnings. But then we get into the aspiration. And so why, why do we even want a heart that's open to warnings? Because in some ways it seems like, well, having a heart that's not open to warnings, that, that sort of seems like it would be a whole lot better. I mean, that, that's sort of like what we do as kids, right? When somebody's warning us, we just stick our fingers in our ears and we do it anyway. Doesn't that seem like it would be more fun? But the reason that God tells us to turn away from those things is so that he can tell us who to turn to. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this gospel, that he's saying, come to me, come underneath my wings, turn away from those things that I'm warning you against and come to me, come to me again, come to me confessing your sins, come to me saying that uh, you have done wrong, come to me again saying that you are fleeing from those things that you're repenting of, or maybe you're fleeing from them because you've been beaten so badly by them that you need to run away from them, but flee to me, flee under my wings. And so our aspiration here is that we would have hearts that are opened to repentance Hearts that are open to his warning so that we would flee to Jesus. So that we would go to Jesus and we would say, we, we need you. We can't do this on our own. We fail at warning so much of the time. And we need to run to you.
there's this interesting thing that Jesus ends this little discourse with. He says, you won't really recognize me until you are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that little phrase, that, that phrase that we sing at communion, that, that phrase is all about who Jesus is, that Jesus is the person who is coming to us in the identity of God. Jesus is the one who is coming to us as the person who is here, present with us. And that's why we sing it at communion, because we're recognizing that he's here present with us in communion. And that's why he's saying it to these people in Jerusalem. He's saying, I'm here present with you. You you don't even have to run that far. I'm right here. Just say it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Heed my warning. Turn away. Run to me. Because Jesus promises us that no matter where we're coming from, no matter what warnings we have failed to heed, or if we have actually done the good work of heeding those warnings and have run away from those things, that Jesus is there to catch us, to gather us. And one day, gathering us together for eternity in him. So may you this week recognize that you do have a God who warns you. A God who warned people like the people of Jerusalem in Jeremiah's day and in Jesus' day. May you pray to him that you would receive a heart that would be open to that warning. So that you would run to Jesus and see that he would gather you together with himself. Amen. Thank you for listening to this media from University Lutheran Church and Student Center. To learn more and to get connected to other resources, please visit universitylutheranchurch.org. If you would like to financially support more media from University Lutheran, please visit our website and click the Give Now button, which will enable you to engage in the Christian discipline of giving tithes and offerings to God through His church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Oh,